Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Uh, I want to talk with you today about making it easy to come to Christ. Now in Acts chapter 15, we are given the story of kind of a major church crisis that, had, that, that the church leadership had to deal with. Um, this took place, Acts 15 is taking place about 20 years after the formation of the church that we, we read about in Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost outpouring of the Spirit and, and so forth. Uh, this is taking place about 20 years after that. And by the time we reach Acts 15, the gospel has been spreading exponentially uh, across the, the then known world, especially in the Middle East, the, uh, the Roman Empire, and so forth. People by the thousands, the tens of thousands are, are coming as new believers into this newly forming church. And along with this incredible growth, were emerging issues that the church leaders had to deal with, and there were several of them. But Acts 15 tells us about this issue that had to do with Jewish laws and customs. This may seem foreign to us, but remember, the church is brand new, and it's primarily coming out of Jewish, the, the, uh, the Jews and out of Jewish customs and so forth. And so the idea was, or the question was, how much of the Jewish laws, how much of Jewish customs did these new Gentile believers have to adhere to and have to give themselves to? So the problem started when as the church was growing and, and Paul and Peter and the apostles and so forth and, and just regular folk were out sharing Christ and the church is growing, uh, these, these men, Jewish teachers, who the Apostle Paul calls Judaizers, they were following kind of behind the apostles, and wherever the apostles would start a new church, these folks would kind of worm their way into it after the apostles left, and would start teaching these new Gentile believers that unless they followed the law of Moses, they weren't truly saved. So what they were doing was distorting the freedom of the gospel message, which, which essentially is that it's about relationship now. It's not about rules, all right? They were trying to take these people who had been saved into a relationship with God and put them back into rules all over again. So their teaching was, of course, causing a lot of confusion among these new believers about what God truly required of Gentiles in their new faith. So verse number 6 of Acts 15 says, the apostles and the elders met together to resolve the issue. We got to have a meeting. We got to talk about this. This is becoming a big deal. Well, after quite a bit of time spent uh, praying together, spent discussing together, the apostle James, who is the brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James in the New Testament, the apostle James stood up in the group of the apostles and elders 
And he brought the whole matter to conclusion in verses 19 and 20. He said, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Now, if you're new to the faith and new to the Bible, those four things might seem a little bit strange to you. So let me just comment real quickly about it. I don't want to take much time here. But abstaining from eating food offered to idols, Gentiles routinely ate food that had been offered, meat in particular, that had been offered to pagan idols in pagan temples, and what they would do is they would offer the meat there, they would, they would sacrifice the bull or whatever they were sacrificing, and, and they, the meat from the bull would then be sold in, in uh, stores where people routinely went in and bought this meat that had been offered to an idol, and that, that's how they got their choice cuts of meat, their filet mignons, their, their, uh, their uh, tube steak, like what we're going to have uh, a little bit later, you know. Their, uh, their choice meats, you know, that choice tube steak that, that they had. Well, a- anyway, the, so the, the, um, the Gentiles were routinely uh, doing, the pagans were doing, it's part of their custom. And so these people were coming to Christ, these Gentiles were coming to Christ out of that environment. And frankly, even though their Jewish brothers and sisters knew that in Christ is the whole completion of the law, and it was in faith in him and everything. Still, their, their customs that they had been brought up under, that this was offensive to them, and it was, it was wounding them. And so basically, James was saying, we've got to start thinking, uh, believers have to start thinking about other people, not just themselves. How is what I'm doing affecting someone else? Is it affecting them positively or negatively? In this case, it was affecting them negatively. It was affecting the Jews negatively. They were being offended at the Gentiles eating this meat. And so James says, you got to abstain from eating food offered to idols. All right, then he says, from sexual immorality. That's pretty self-explanatory. We understand what that is. We are loaded with sexual immorality in our culture today. They were loaded with it then. And so the Gentiles were coming out of a, a lifestyle of perverse sexual immorality. You read about that throughout the New Testament. There's a lot that Paul writes about that. And so this is one of the fir- early times when, uh, when God's word says, when the apostles were saying to the people, hey, listen, you got you to gotta start letting the Spirit help you to change into a new person so that you're not living by the old customs that you used to live by, but you're living a pure life before God. Then, then the next area he talks about actually the meat, eating the meat of strangled animals and then from consuming blood. Now, the, these actually could be combined together. And the, the, these, two, um, these two issues were talked about in the Old Testament, and God's law said that the Jews were not to eat uh, the blood from an animal. It's interesting to me that God would tell the Jews and give this dietary restriction before there was any science about blood, before there were any microscopes and uh, any science about how disease spreads. We know now today that disease spreads rampantly through blood. Transmission of blood to blood will, will if, if the blood that's being transmitted isn't pure, it will bring disease into the, into the person who receives it. 
And that was also true of animals. If you eat the blood of animals that is not pure, it will bring uh, problems and disease into your physical body as well. And so uh, God was saying to the Jews, don't consume blood. And James said to the Gentiles, listen, you got to quit drinking the blood. You got to quit eating meat that has not been drained of the blood. And that's the reason why the prohibition on strangled animals was placed in there as well, because strangled animals have obviously not been drained of their blood. And so what, what God is saying here was these, these four things, which to some degree had, uh, had, had great, uh, uh, they connected with it really strongly um, back in that day because they understood. In our day, a little bit of this is hard to understand, but we do connect with it that in the broader sense, we have an obligation to our brothers and sisters in the Lord you know, and that's what the, uh, uh, the food offered to idols business is all about. We have an obligation to God to live pure lives, and we have an obligation to our own physical bodies to not do things that bring harm to us physically. And in this case, it was that issue was a huge issue. And so that's what they brought to the Gentile believers. Now, this suggestion was met with great approval by the church. Uh, by the apostles. So James is standing up and he's telling the rest of the apostles and the other elders, this is my suggestion. And everybody said, this is God speaking to us. This is a good deal. We're going to follow these, uh, this suggestion. And so they sent out the apostle Paul and his good buddy Barnabas. They went out together and they visited the various Gentile churches that had been established. And they said, guys, we are aware that some have come in behind us and have said, you've got to follow all the, the, the laws of Moses in order to be truly set, saved. This is our recommendation. Uh, the first part of it is that your salvation comes by faith in Jesus Christ alone. All right. But secondly, we give you this recommendation as a child of God now to do these four or these three things, however you want to look at that. And the, the Bible, verse 11, says that there was great joy throughout the church that day as they read this encouraging message. And so as they heard and they read the message that was delivered, it was received. Now, I share this bit of church history with you to highlight this little statement that the apostle James made back in verse number 19. That's what I want to focus about today. He says, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. My judgment is that we should not make it difficult for unbelievers to come to Christ. Now, we're in this series of messages in the month of July. We'll wrap it up next week, where we're talking about how to neighbor. And what we mean by that is how to grow a relationship with your neighbors, whereby you can influence them for Jesus Christ. And when we say neighbor, we're not really just talking about the person who lives by you, although we're talking about that person, but we are talking about maybe the people who live in the same household with you. We're talking about people you work with, uh, your broader family, and so forth. Again, verse number 19, in this verse, we are given this very important key to reaching people for the Lord. We should not make it difficult for unbelievers to turn to God. Now, what the apostles understood is what you and I have got to understand as God's people today, is we are not to make it difficult for unbelievers to come to Christ. So I want us to think about that idea by looking at this from two opposing points of view this morning. First of all, how do we 
sometimes make salvation difficult for people. Do we do that? I think we do. I want to talk about that. The second thing I want to talk about with you is how we can make it then simple. So number one, how do we make salvation difficult? Again, go back to the book of Acts in chapter 15. What those false Jewish teachers were doing to the Gentiles was putting old religious rules and customs on these new believers. Now, these rules were for a time and for a season, but they were only a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ fulfilled. They never were meant to be permanent. They were only a foreshadowing of what Jesus would fulfill through his life, death, and resurrection, okay? So they were trying to force people back into rules that were never meant to be ongoing or permanent. So the law of the Old Testament, it could never meet the spiritual need of the people, not even the Jews in the Old Testament. The reason I say that is because every year the high priest had to go and take a new bull and sacrifice it for the sins of the nation. Every year the, the bull, a new bull had to be sacrificed. And the reason for that was the hearts of the people wasn't changed. It wasn't changed because all they were into was a religion. A relationship with God had not been revealed yet. So they were doing what God wanted them to do, but it was never, it did not take the guilt away. It did not change the heart of the individual. So the the Old Testament law could not change the hearts of God's people or the human heart. And the same thing is true today, even though we don't sacrifice bulls and goats and lambs anymore, But religion of any kind does not work spiritually to build a relationship between us and God. Religion can give you a false hope of spirituality. It can do that, at least for a season. But religion falls flat because it doesn't give you a right relationship with God because the only way to have a right relationship with God and fellowship with God is through Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection, and accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior. So it's faith in Christ that transforms our hearts and puts us in right relationship with God. It's not doing religious things. It's faith in Christ. And it doesn't matter what religion we're talking about. It, it, it can even, Christianity can even become a religion and nothing more than a religion. So it doesn't matter what religion we're talking about. Religion doesn't work because it doesn't change the heart. It just changes behavior. So these Judaizers were pushing these new Christian believers backwards, backwards into a form that wasn't working in the first place. And that's what religion always does, is it pushes you backward. When we push religion on people, instead of a true faith, offering a true faith to people, it doesn't work anymore today than it worked back then. So how do we sometimes make salvation difficult today? I have three thoughts. Number one, 
when we don't make the message clear, it becomes difficult for people to understand they need salvation. People need to understand that we're not inviting them to, a, to church. We're inviting them to Jesus. Amen? We're inviting people to God. That's, that's the thing. We're not trying to make people members of us. We would love for them to be members of us, but that's not our goal. That's a byproduct after they meet Jesus. What we want is to have a church of people who, are grow, who know Christ and are growing in Christ, and that's the focus of what we're after. We're not after just trying to get warm bodies to fill all the chairs. We're, we're after people to come into a living relationship with God. So to that end, I want to share with you four scriptures that have really helped me. I've memorized them years and years and years ago, and they've really helped me in, in witnessing to people and sharing with people at, to explain to them why they need a Savior, why they need salvation, why they need to be saved. The first one is Romans 3.23. I learned them in the King James. I put it up here in the NIV. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So why do we need salvation? Because all of us are sinners. And I think a lot of people who don't attend church regularly or don't live for God, they think, have you ever had somebody say to you, man, if I go to church, the ceiling will cave in, you know? Well, apparently not because all of us showed up here and it still didn't cave in, you know? <laughs> But they have this idea that we're all so good and perfect, and we got our lives all together, and we, you know, that they're the only one who is really, you know, far away from God. They get this false idea. What people need to understand is from the seat to the stage, uh, no matter who's up here, who's down there, we are all sinners saved by grace. That's the best we can get. We're all sinners saved by grace. That doesn't mean all of us have done the same sins, but we are all sinners under the judgment of God, and only the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ has made a difference so that I'm not the person I was. Um, I, I, I'm a new person. So when he called my name, man, I ran out of that grave. Hallelujah. All right, so we got under, they have to understand that uh, they're sinners. Uh, the second one would be uh, Romans 6, 23, which simply says, the wages of sin is death. All right, now we all know what death is. We've all lost loved ones probably, and, uh, or in some other capacity, we've lost uh, things or individuals or pets or whatever that we've loved. And we understand the sting of death. You hate it, you know? And, and it, just, it just, I just lost, Carrie and I just lost a, a wonderful friend in the ministry who, who um, you know, was diagnosed with cancer and was gone within a couple weeks. And, um, and I mean, this family was close, they were missionaries to Japan and everything, and, you know, and it just has broken our hearts. We, you know, in Christ, there is no death. Do you understand that? You say, well, wait a minute, I thought you said he died. He did die physically, but he didn't die spiritually. Once you know Christ as Savior, you never die. The, the real you never dies. The, the, the shell gets old. The shell loses hair. Big Jim, you understand what I'm saying, buddy? Big Jim's wearing the most common toupee in the world. Right over here. Yeah, that, take that thing off. There it is. There it is, folks, you know. Nothing. A lot of nothing over there, you know, on top of that head. 
but he can't help it. I can't help it either. I mean, I could artificially make it look better, but it is what it is, you know, so I'm not going to play that game. Carrie doesn't seem to mind, and she's the only one I'm trying to impress at this stage of life, you know. So. I digress. I don't know where I was going with all of that, but... But death, oh, death, yeah. So death affects us. You know, we get old, we get wrinkly, and, and things like that happen. Um, th but by far the greatest, the greatest definition of the word death here is not physical death, but spiritual death, which the Bible defines as separation from God. And, and, and since God is everywhere, that's kind of a misnomer. It's really separation from the benevolence or the blessings, the favor of God upon your life. And... Um, I, I one time heard somebody say, you know, if you're not saved, uh, this world is, a, is uh, as close to heaven as you're going to ever get. If you don't know Christ as Savior, this world is the, something like that, is the closest expression of heaven that you're ever going to experience. But if you are saved, this world is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. Hallelujah for that, huh? And so... Uh, we know about separation from God, and, and that's what happens to us when we sin, and uh, we, we, we're not bound for heaven, but the good news is it doesn't stop right there. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and so now I want to know as a person, okay, if God's offering me that, how do I get to it? And First uh, John 1, 9 says, well, we, we receive this special gift by confessing our sins. And when we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or purify us from all unrighteousness. And we need both forgiveness and cleansing, forgiveness and purification, because purification is what changes us. If all I am is forgiven, I'll just keep going right back and doing the same old thing again. And I come back to God, please forgive me for doing that. And then day later, I'm doing it again. And then, oh, please forgive me for doing that, you know. And so forgiveness isn't enough. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to be cleansed. And it's the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit that can change you from the trap that you're in, from the, the lifestyle that you're in. It can change you from that into a person that you never thought you could be. You'll be changed into a person that is truly uh, running out of the grave, you know, and set free by God. So we confess our sins to the Lord. And through that confession, that's how we are birthed into the family of God. Okay? Which brings me to the last verse that I usually use is John 1.12. It says, uh, uh, To them that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to as many as called upon his name. And so I underline in the NIV some, some words here. Received him. Sounds like that's pretty important. Um, believed in his name. That's how you become a child of God. Do you get that? See, because the philosophy, every, you'll hear this all over the place, from religions and from politicians and all of it. Uh, we are all children of God. Have you heard that? Everybody's a child of God. You know that's not true. We are all creations of God. We're all creatures created by our, our Heavenly Father. But you've got you to be born again to get in the family. All right, And the way you're born again is by faith in Christ. So in this verse, it says you've got to receive him. And when you receive him, that, that means more than just saying, well, I believe Jesus lived. 
when you receive him, you receive him into your life to forgive you, but also to take charge. Okay? He's taking charge. That's what that means. And then if you do believe that his death and resurrection paid the price and gave you the victory over sin in your life, to that person, you become now a child of God. All right? So that's how, that's how adoption takes place in the family of God. So these scriptures, but you can use others that you, maybe you want to use, that make the message clear. We've got to make the message clear to, to people as to why they need salvation. Number two, we make salvation difficult by adding rules to faith. I'll just give you one, uh, one for instance. Years ago, I had a wonderful, wonderful uh, retired minister who worked with me, uh, and he was kind of part-time. His wife had already passed, and so I just asked him to be a part of our staff, and, and he, uh, it, it gave him a sense of purpose and, and, and so forth. And uh, he was one of the most genuine and loving men I have ever met. I just, I just love Brother Richardson. But he had been raised under a very strict standard of faith that added rules to the gospel. And that was very common, especially in the 40s, 50s, and 60s within Pentecostal churches. And so he asked me one day, do you think a person who doesn't tithe can be saved? Now that may sound like a strange question to you, but let me, let me just share. I knew immediately where he was coming from. Because in the book of Old Testament prophet Malachi, it says that a person who doesn't tithe is robbing from God in chapter 3. Okay? They're robbing from God. That's what God says. Then over in the book of Revelation, it says that there will be no thieves in heaven. So if you're robbing, you're a thief. And if there's no thieves in heaven, a person who is not tithing is not going to heaven. Now, so I understood the rationale of how he was, he was thinking about the whole thing. But I said to him, my brother, the problem with that kind of teaching is that it adds to the blood of Christ as the complete payment for salvation. Whenever we say that the blood of Jesus plus this gets you saved, we're adding to the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus, and that is totally wrong. The blood of Jesus is enough to save every single one of us. It doesn't require us to do this or that or something else. It's the blood of Jesus that saves us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God doesn't demand anything of you? Yeah, I mean, we change, but we change because of what God has done for us. So you say, well, Pastor Jim, don't you believe that you should tithe? Well, of course I believe I sh we should tithe. I tithe. I believe that you should tithe. I think that that's fundamental to our Christian faith and our Christian growth. But what, what, what I want you to understand here today is that I tithe not to get saved. I tithe because I am saved. I, I don't practice things of the world not to get saved, but I don't practice things of the world because I'm saved. And it's part of my love declaration to Jesus Christ to stay away from things that hurt him and that hurt me. So when we add to it, then it starts pushing people away from God. Number three, we make it difficult by expecting immediate spiritual maturity. Sometimes people need time to grow. They need to be, uh, they need to be encouraged along. And I will just say that there, there have been many people through the years that I've just said, God, you've got to work on them because I can't be their spiritual mother walking around behind them all the time saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do, do that, don't, but don't, no, you can't say that. You shouldn't do that. I can't be that. 
I can't be that. And so, Lord, you've got to work on it. And it's been amazing to me as I've turned people over to the Lord and let him, by the power of his word and through his spirit, just deal with them, how God brings them around. Now, that's not to say that everybody has to do what I think is, is right and so forth, but I'm just saying it with some variations, they, they come around to an understanding of, you know what, I was doing that, but it's not good for me, and God doesn't want me to do that anymore. And, and so I'm giving that up in order to, to give praise to Jesus, you know. And so I think that it, it, it's something, when we demand that people who get saved, okay, now you give your heart to Christ, and you better not do this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And what you're saying may be right, but we've got to let people grow into these things rather than demanding. Does that make sense? demanding that they get there. Now, so now I want to go to the other thing, and we're going to wrap this up. How do you make salvation simple? First of all, I will say by being authentic personally, you personally being authentic, because there's no greater spiritual turnoff than hypocrisy. And, and hypocrisy is, <clears throat> is, is me professing one thing and then not living it, you know? And I will tell you this, that I live with a woman that if I didn't live what I teach you up here, I'd get smacked in the head a few times, you know. She'd, she'd let me know. So I never have to worry about the voice of God. I hear the voice of God every day. <laughs> but it's good, and it's helped me. That's why she's my helper, all right? Now, the Apostle Paul talked about genuine faith when he talked about Timothy, his spiritual son, he said in 2 Timothy 1, 5, I remember your genuine faith, for your share of the faith that, you, that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I know the same faith continues strong in you. So apparently, Grandma got saved first, and then Mom, and then Timothy got saved. Timothy ended up being the pastor of the Ephesian church, the book of Ephesus in the New Testament. Timothy was the pastor of that church in Ephesus. And uh, so he was greatly used of God. Now, I can relate to that because that's kind of my, my story. Back, when, uh, back in the 1930s, when, when uh, there was a genuine move of God taking place in northern Indiana, where I'm originally from, uh, they had tent revivals back then. Some, some of you will remember that term. Or you'll know what that term means. And my grandmother, a little lady, uh, she she dared to go to a tent revival, Pentecostal tent revival in the early 1930s. And she ended up getting saved there. There was a hole in her heart and she needed something to fill it. And so she, she gave Jesus a chance and wow, did Jesus ever make the difference in her life? Well, she got so changed by the Lord that she goes back and she got eight children. She invites all of them to go to, to the tent meeting with her the next night. They're having a revival. One of them shows up, one of them goes, my mom. Now, at this point, she's not my mom. And this is maybe in the latter part of the 30s, 1930s. And, and so mom goes to the, to the tent revival, and she ends up getting saved. Well, she's dating this guy who's now my dad. And, but then she's dating this guy, and she says, you got to go to church with me. Well, I don't know that he wanted to go to church necessarily, but he wanted to date her. And so he, he felt like this was a precondition. And so he goes, guess what? He gets saved. And I mean, all three of them get gloriously saved. And then my mom and dad end up getting married. And he goes on off to World War II then. He comes back from World War II. And, and my grandma and my mom and, 
and my dad, they become a core to the formation of, of that church there in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from. And because of their genuine faith, I was led to Christ at, a, after, at some point after birth. I came to Jesus Christ myself in the ni- late 1950s and gave Jesus my heart, and that transformed my life so that in the 1960s, when I was 16 years old, I, held, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to my heart that I was to go and give myself to full-time ministry, and that's why I'm standing up here today talking with you, because of what my grandma did going to a tent revival back in the 1930s. And, and it's just the miracle of genuine faith being passed from, from generation to generation. And this is what I want to leave you with here. Uh, some of you are in family situations where your kids or other family members are not, they're not connecting to your, your witness for Christ and they're, they're turned off by it and they're not interested. I remember my one uncle telling my dad, I am not interested in your God. And you know what? He died that way. And it's tragic, but... But that's the decision sometimes that's made. But what I want to tell you is that while there are some people who will, who will maybe never receive your witness for Christ, they cannot deny the change of who you are and who you are becoming by the power of the living, genuine faith of Jesus Christ within your life that's changing you from what you were into, what you are, for the glory of God. And that has impact, folks. It may not be out loud, but it's having an impact on the lives of people that you work with, that you live around, and that you live with. Hallelujah. So God uses genuine faith. Now, secondly, we can make salvation simple by being accepting. And some people I know, they think when I say accepting sinful people is the same thing as accepting their sin. That is not what I'm saying. When I accept people, I do it because I know that God accepts them, just like he accepted me. Now, a lot of us think that God won't accept us unless we are good enough, unless we get things right in our lives first. There's a lot of people that feel that way out there. Oh, I can't go to church until I get myself cleaned up, you know. But if we could get things right first, we wouldn't need Jesus. The fact is, we, none of us could get our lives right first. We needed Jesus to help us to change us, first of all, and then by his spirit to help us to get things right. We can't do it on our own. That's kind of like saying, as soon as I get healthy, I'll go to the doctor. (laughs) I can't let him see me like this. (laughs) It's embarrassing. I got to get healthy first, then I'll go to the doctor, you know. I don't go to the doctor because I'm healthy. I go because I'm sick. I need help. Jesus himself said in Mark 2, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are unhealthy, who know they're sinners, who know they need help. if, If you think that you've got it all together spiritually because you do all these things, then you'll never be changed. You'll never find God. But if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I need you. I am a mess. I can't do enough good things to take care of the guilt that I'm living with. I've got to have help from you. God will respond to that cry every single time. (laughs) 
Let me move on to the third thing. By, we, we make salvation simple by loving unconditionally, loving people unconditionally. I believe that people in our world today are so desperate for real love that any church that loves people without precondition will grow and reach people and impact a community. I really do. We got so much social media that's leaving people socially dis, disjointed from each other. And uh, they don't even know, they desperately need a hug. They, they desperately need a, a handshake, a, a w kind words to be given. Now, I'm not talking about compromise, but I am talking about loving the world. You know what? God loved us before we had it all together. In fact, we don't have it all together now, and he still loves us. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It's what Paul said, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Life Church has got to be a hospital for the hurting. I mean, I want every single one of you to grow in Christ as if you're already a believer, but folks, it's not just about us as Christians. And when we get all upset about, you know, the worship or the haze or the lights or the, the, the sermon or Carrie, I don't know. We get all upset about all of these things. What it shows is that we're more concerned with us than we are them. Well, I don't like it that way. Well, so what? We're not trying to reach you. You're already reached. We're trying to reach people who think that if they come in here, it's going to be this cut and dry, little boring place and they get exposed to music that they never thought they'd hear in a church before, and they say, whoa! Some of them freaks them out. <laughs> but most of them, they come back, and they say, we got to hear this again. we got to be touched by it again. And, and they start changing, and it's, and it's amazing. I'm not trying to get after anybody. So please don't misunderstand me. I'm just simply saying the church can't just be about the, the believers who are here about us all stroking one another, making each, everybody feel good all the time, that doesn't mean that if you're an unbeliever, you're going to be comfortable here all the time. You're going to hear the truth. We're not going to compromise the truth uh, to, to make you feel comfortable. I'm not talking about that because true comfort doesn't come by living a lie. It comes by embracing the truth. That's where freedom really comes, by, by the truth you are set free. Amen? So, so that's, that's what we got to... But, but accepting people and loving people unconditionally. God, before there was any guarantee that you or I would know, would accept Jesus, would come to him, he had already put him on a cross with the outside chance that in 2017 you would bend your knee to God and you'd reach out your heart and say, I need a Savior in my life because I'm what Romans 3.23 said, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and I know it and I'm miserable and i got to have a change in my life. And you know what? To any person who will do that, God receives us and he takes us in and he welcomes us and he makes us, it's gradual, but he makes us a new person 
you say, well, I don't think you're all that great right now. But you should have seen me before. This ain't much, but if you would have seen me before, before Jesus, and because of what he's done, I have faith for tomorrow of what I will become as I continue to submit to him. That's how we make the gospel simple. We just simply make the message understandable. We accept people and we unconditionally love people. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.